Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Today's Market Explained, a four-star podcast. I'm uh, Brian Castle, your host uh, here, and uh, I have uh, with me my co-host, uh, usual co-host, Chris Reardon. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, glad to talk a little bit about the market today. So Chris is our director of development. He is a master of all things portfolio, building a big team around Chris, a Cleveland boy who loves his Indians. And he's got a, a burgeoning family of three young children under two years of age. So we can be pleased Chris and welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. And uh, I'm Brian Castle, uh, the founder and CEO of Four Star, I'm Eagle Scout, trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation. Uh, I'm the husband to the amazing uh, Tripti and chief dad to Quinn and Evan. Uh, so um, that's our story for today. Uh, by the way, everybody, if you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends and give us a five out of five ranking on Apple iTunes. Uh, so that really helps us as we get our get our information out there. So um, we're going to do a discussion of the markets, economy, and then other general things that we see out there. A lot of interesting things going on, Chris, with the markets. We had some big position changes now. So why don't we go through that with everybody? Yeah, yeah. So uh, like you alluded to, um, some big changes. Uh, we're starting to see some new trends, if you will, uh, starting to come out. So um, first off, we had a change in the number one position. Uh, domestic equities uh, took the number one position uh, from international equities. And it gained 27 points from the last podcast. So it's at 266 tally points um, and has taken that number one position. International equities um, still held pretty firm in that number two position. It only gained two points, though, and it's at 261. Uh, so the one and two spots, international and domestic, are, are both very close. Um, you know, bad week by one or strong week by the other. We could easily see those interchange on uh, the one and two spot. Uh, commodities isn't third though, and we saw a little bit of a resurgence in commodities. It gained 27 points from the last podcast, and it's at 215. So it kind of popped back above that 200 mark there uh, in the third position. The bottom three um, will were kind of the losers um, of the uh, last couple of weeks. Cash is in fourth. It lost 24 points uh, and is at 154. Uh, currencies is in fifth. And it lost seven points since the last podcast in that 103. Uh, and then last, I would say probably the, the biggest loser um, over the last month has been fixed income. It lost 23 points and is at 90, um, under 100 there. So really, we saw um, the top three, the strong ones, getting stronger. That's the class is getting stronger. And the bottom three, the bottom class is getting weaker. So um, a lot of trends, a lot of changes. Domestic equities, the number one position now. Um, you know, a lot of movement going on. So, Chris, that's pretty interesting uh, information because fixed income can't catch a break because rates keep rising. So, in in this environment, you would need variable income like variable uh, yield bonds, like floating rate bonds, 
So anyone who has fixed bonds does, doesn't do as well. So fixed income's taken a beating now for you know about eighteen months, and it continues, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean we've seen um, another strategy of use floating rates or go buy short term. We've seen uh, short term T bills, yeah, three month, six month uh, T bills uh, have been really popular, and I mean they're yielding four or five percent. You know, and, you know, coming up of the last you know fifteen years of no yield at all. You show someone they can get, you know, four or five percent yield off of a six month, three month T bill, um, which is essentially in, in finance these days a risk free return, and it's you know backed by the U.S. government. Um, that's a pretty good deal, and a lot of people are um, you know opting for that option. Right, exactly. And now we're looking at on the top end, domestic equities, uh, the U.S. stocks are ranked number one again. So, so uh, international has been ranked number one for a long time, last 18 months or so, um, for the most part. So domestic equities obviously have not been good, but now they're back up to number one. We saw the tech markets move, but now we're seeing a broadening out of the market on the last month or so, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's interesting. International was running and, and it still is uh, strong. By no means has it collapsed. I gained two points once again. Uh, so it still is strengthening, but I think we're starting to see potentially kind of the, the top of it. Um, we're starting to get news out of Europe as far as some of the economic news is starting to kind of flatten out. Um, there's talk of potential recessions going on over there. And you know, I think the other big news has been that the Chinese uh, market, uh, the economy hasn't recovered uh, quite like people were expecting. So uh, there's been some stories, some hope originally that I think is starting to kind of fade now. Um, doesn't mean it could reverse, uh, but it, that I think it's starting to slow a little bit. Yeah. Then the commodities, which were ranked number one for part of last year, uh, as well, uh, they're back up to three, they faded. Now they're coming back up, but that was mostly oil, right? Chris oil. Yeah. So big oil move. Um, uh, we had OPEC, I think did some production cuts, uh, which certainly obviously impacts the price of oil. Uh, so oil's been the, the big mover, I would say, for right now. We are in the summer month. A lot of people are driving. you got a lot of jet fuel, a lot of flying, a lot of traveling. That's certainly been one of the on-demand industries uh, as of late. A lot of people flying to Europe, things like that. Um, so oil's the big mover. And then, you know, I think the other thing is, even though it's been going on longer now and it's kind of stalemated out to a degree, you still have the war in Ukraine going on. And um, recently, Russia pulled out of the truce between uh, Ukraine and, and the world to help get wheat supplies out of uh, the uh, Ukrainian ports. Um, and there was some bombing there. So that, that's causing volatility in other commodities, uh, both to the upside and to the downside. So oil, this strong precious metals just held up there pretty well. But grains and soybean getting hit now a little bit more, right? Correct, yeah. You know, it, it really depends on the wheat, if you will. Um, the last, I think if you go back two or three weeks ago, uh, grains and soybeans and things like that were, were exploding. And then now they've cooled off and pulled off off of harvest news, things like that. So we're still seeing uh, probably better or bigger than expected volatility out of agricultural stocks, um, mostly coming from, stemming from the Ukrainian war and some of the volatility there. Um, and then the precious metals has been another staple. Um, I would say that's mostly just because we have these rate um, these rate impacts. We have strengthening currencies, things like that, uh, that are happening. So usually, when you have movement like that, you go starting to move in one direction or the other. Yes, 
Now, the interesting thing is 81% of companies so far in this earnings season uh, have beaten their earnings estimates. So, uh, you know, it seems like the companies are pretty good at managing expectations on earnings. So they'll probably lower uh, estimates here in, in August as we go into the end of September. Um, that way they can beat those numbers, you know, in October when they announce the September earnings. So they kind of play with it, don't they? They kind of um, lower expectations in a strong market so it doesn't hurt their stock that bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in many ways, the you know, CEOs and uh, the officers of these companies, I mean, they're not only do they run the companies, but they're also the best ambassadors and diplomats, right? So they want to put the best, uh, the best look they can on the companies and they want to try to save as much uh, face, if you will, and save as much of the stock price as they can. So they're going to try to adjust those to to make sure they're realistic numbers they can beat. Exactly. Now, back on what else, oil prices are staying high, although uh, the shipping stocks are getting nervous uh, that oil oil shipments from Russia are down to some of the lowest levels since January, and the Saudis are storing a lot of their oil on ships. Uh, refiners are making a lot of money. It's a good sign for oil. Uh, but it, it's kind of an interesting situation going on right now. And then uh, because inflation has been easing a little bit, wage increases have now gone above inflation, which means there's real gains. For the first time, there's real gains in in, uh, in income in net of inflation because for the last 18 months or so, we've seen investors lose ground because of inflation. Now we're gaining a little bit of that back, which is nice. Yeah, and then I think that's been one of the the highlights, if you will, of the economy being a little bit stronger than expected is um, the consumers held up, at least yeah. so far. So then we're talking a little bit about our debt levels being really high and people being concerned about our currency. And now there comes another currency that's being issued, uh, the BRICS currency, which will be a group of Brazil, Russia, India, China, uh, and, and that's going to be issued so people um, in these other countries, companies want to trade um, in, in different uh, currencies, not just the U.S. currency. And part of that is political because there's a war on, there's a proxy war between uh, China and the U.S. through Ukraine. So Russia and, and China are aligned against us and Russia and China are very influential in certain areas in Africa and Middle East and, and such. So they're saying they don't want to trade in dollars. So um, as long as the dollar is a reserve currency, then, then obviously that's good for America. But there could be some challenge here, Chris, now from this brick currency, uh, and that can affect the economics quite a bit because of the flow of capital. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, what awoke this to a degree is, you know, when Russia invaded Ukraine, I think globally, for the most part, that was obviously condemned. And the U.S., um, you know, shutting them out of SWIFT, things like that. You know, certain countries like India, which have been relatively indifferent, obviously China, as you alluded to, and even Brazil, uh, some of these countries that kind of look at it like this isn't our fight, um, I think that kind of uh, scared them a little bit and saying, well, you know, if we do anything to step out of line, uh, how quickly the U.S. can essentially just cut them off from the world. So uh, we're seeing more of an aggressive push to uh, adopt other currencies. Uh, we've talked in the past about the, the petrodollar now, um, we're seeing oil be transacted in yuan, things like that. So uh, we're definitely seeing a, a slight movement away from the dollar. I think overall, we so to some degree saw this coming. I think we talked about it in previous 
uh, podcast about more about the fear of the debt that the U.S. does currently carry uh, and the risks associated with that. Would the world, you know, be willing to bear that? So um, it's going to be interesting. I, I like. I don't think it's going to be too surprising to see as we talk about like a basket of stocks become the reserve currency instead of just the U.S. dollar. You know, whatever it is, ten, twenty years down the road, it could be. Well, and, and uh, you know, America still has the strongest economy in the world, and that's really the key to it. Obviously, the currency flows help, um, but, you know, the key is that we keep our economy strong. So, um, you know, there is a, I was reading some commentary about, you know, where we are as far as fiat currencies, Chris, and you know, I think maybe our listeners not, might not be aware of all this. You know, there, all currencies used to be tied to something, gold, and then there was petrodollars and other other uh, asset-backed, uh, you know, currencies. And, you know, when we went off the gold standard in 1969, it was actually intended to be temporary. But then uh, a number of things happened, and then Germany decided not to go back on the gold standard. And then all this kind of kind of pushed our hand, and all of a sudden we never got back on the gold standard. So, so now all the currencies are fiat currencies that aren't necessarily backed by anything. And so it's backed by, you know, how much currency is out there, how much currency is demanded, whether the con- country's economy is strong or not. But you can't say, hey, you know, I can cash in my dollar and get a certain little ounce of mini ounce of gold or or minute millimeter of gold of some some measurement. Uh, it used to be there were dollars called the silver certificates back in the 1930s during the war, and you could actually cash your dollars in for some small measurement of silver. So, but now all that's gone. And so we have to, what we call fiat currencies. And so that's, that's really a big issue for America as our debt levels rise and it's, it's getting a little bit scary. And so now with these other currencies competing, you know, that creates more issues for America and our currency. So it's something we really need to watch as a country is to stop adding debt. And so there's lots of alarm about that right now. So we'll see, that's a, could be a serious threat to America for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, the gold, um, going back to kind of even, the, you know, pinning the dollar, if you will, with the gold, um, you know, there, there's pros and cons to it. I think some of the cons get lost. It's why don't we just switch back to the gold standard? Um, you know, when you are on the gold standard, you have to have enough gold to cover. Uh, obviously, you know, if you were to be able to go and exchange your dollars or how much, whatever the conversion is to gold, um, you know, if you go back to the end of World War One. Uh, that was issues with Great Britain and even uh, Germany is the fact that the U.S. had all the gold and they needed to try to rebuild their economies and they couldn't expand their economies without, economies without devaluing their currency, essentially saying we only have you know so much gold. So now one pound in this case is worth less gold than it used to be. So um, right. there's interesting dynamics, I would say, with with that gold standard conversation. Well, that- that's all part of the part of the issue, and we can get into that even more further. You know, Chris, turning to the economy, um, the manufacturing ISM is down the eighth month and eighth month in a row, but it was slightly higher uh, than the June report, but still under fifty, which means it's still contracting. And out of the eighteen industries tracked in that ISM uh, manufacturing, only uh, oil and oil industry and furniture were up. So. You know, we're still seeing uh, kind of correcting in the economy. While we're seeing strength in the markets, we saw markets hitting near new highs here recently in the last couple of weeks. So of course, now we're down today, Chris, and that has to do with uh, the uh, 
the rating, right? You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, last night or late in the day yesterday, Fitch came out and downgraded the U.S. debt uh, from AAA to, I believe, AA plus um, or AA plus plus. And so um, they're not the, it's not the first one that's done it. Moody's already done this before as well. Um, but, you know, it, it, whenever that happens, it's obviously kind of a shock to the system, if you will. Uh, we usually see a quick reaction within the markets, uh, which is what we're seeing today. Um, materially, materially, I don't think it has too much of an impact. I think, you know, what they're downgrading the U.S. on has already been a known commodity risk. I believe it's already baked into the markets and, you know, them downgrading is really kind of a, a lag effect. I don't know why they did it at this certain time, but um, I think it's for the most part a non-factor, I think, uh, on the markets. Um, I think what we're going to see in the short term, though, is a lot of volatility based on it. So, um, it might take a week or two for the economy and for the markets to digest it, get it out of their system. Um, but we'll, we'll see kind of what maybe it leads to more. Uh, but overall, kind of from the new information wise, it really doesn't bring anything new to the table. Right. Well, and, and frankly, the other agencies went to AA for the U.S. debt in 2011. Mm-hmm. And that was a wild summer in the summer of 2011. Uh, but Fitch never ranked lowered to AAA. So they're 12 years later. Uh, so you're right. It probably doesn't have that much of an impact, I would say. Um, interesting. But uh, at least Fitch did it. So uh, talked about the currency, gold standard. Chris, um, in the economy, uh, overall inflation it went down to 3% in a recent release, but the core inflation is still 4.8%. The Fed said this week, they raised this path this week, and they said they're going to expect it to raise again. In September, even Austin Goolsby mentioned that again the other day. Uh, so we're continuing to see tightening. We're continuing to see a, a reasonably strong earnings, and uh, they'll manage those earning expectations going forward. But there may be enough earnings uh, revisions downward or expectations uh, estimates coming down uh, that that could maybe affect the market as well. We're priced kind of for perfection right now with everything moving up. And, um, you know, so inflation is still a bugaboo. It's still out there. The treasury bond went back up to highest levels near 5%. And there's going to be some big auctions over the next couple of weeks. And we'll see how the options do because we have more and more debt now that's rolling over every time. And we have to make sure that that, that firms are willing to pay our, uh, you know, pay for that debt, obviously. And, and, and we have to pay for it, I should say, whether they're willing to assume that debt. So that's uh, that. Those are issues that we really need to watch. When when a when a country has lots of debt, they need to be able to roll that debt into new debt, right? When it comes due or or matures, uh, unless they want to pay it off, of course. Um, then that would uh, reduce that would uh, increase the amount of currency out there. They would have to print dollars to pay off that debt unless they had them. So those are really big issues to watch, and we're going to be watching that closely. But Chris, you had a bunch of other economic numbers. Why don't we go through those two? Yeah. Uh, so just to highlight, like you mentioned, Brian, uh, this past week we had the Federal Reserve raise the uh, benchmark rate uh, to uh, ban between five, five and a quarter, 5.25 and five and a half percent, which is the highest level in 22 years. So uh, we've certainly seen that uh, really creep up heavily. A um, couple of big things I think that are impacting and, and kind of driving this economy really is retail sales. Uh, they rose a seasonally adjusted 0.2% in June, month over month. That's June from May. Um, it's slower than previous months, but it's still a sign that you know Americans are still keeping up 
um, with you know spending, even with the inflation, everything. As inflation comes down, and as you alluded to, Brian, the uh, inflation-adjusted average hourly wages, which are starting to now outpace uh, the inflation, um, potentially we see that pick up again. Um, but as long as we see those retail sales, the consumer out there, the American consumer spending, that's overall a good sign. So we'll see if that does continue. The other big key with this market is the housing market. Uh, so the S&P CoreLogic T. Schiller National Home Price Index, uh, which is just a fancy index of saying that the average price of a home, uh, it fell 0.5% in May uh, year over year. Uh, so from May of 2022 to May of 2023. Um, so we're starting to see home prices decrease, albeit things lower than some people are expecting. And a lot of that is due to the supply and demand issues in the current housing market. Um, existing home sales is a good proof of that. They decreased 3.3% in June from May. So that's just month over month, they decreased 3.3%. So we have a real um, a gap there really in supply and demand of housing, especially on existing homes. You know, a lot of people who are in current housing and they don't want to leave. They don't want to sub, uh, subject themselves to seven, eight percent on mortgages when they're locked in at two or three percent mortgages. So you really have no supply on that end uh, and you have a lot of demand. A lot of people want to go buy a house or waiting for prices to come down so they can go buy a house. So uh, what's ultimately going to be the big driver of that is if interest rates start to come down, or um, the big other uh, thing going on has been builders. So um, once builders continue to build and get that supply up so those people can go buy those new homes instead of existing homes, um, that will see some of that pressure come on as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. I think a lot of people weren't expecting the price, house prices to stay as inflated, if you will, as they, they have been. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how long so that's an aggregate number, Chris, national number. And yet the, the strongest stocks we've had in our portfolios have been the building stocks. So they're still building in, 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 the, in, the, in the, what I would call the economically uh, attractive states uh, where taxes are low uh, and economic activity is high, where people are moving. Florida, Texas, Arizona, Nevada, um, those states where people want to move. So we're, we're still seeing a lot of building, but yet uh, in aggregate, there's enough of a, of a, a kind of a air pocket that the market hit because of interest rates that we're seeing the uh, numbers start to fade in pricing. Wasn't the, it was around this time last year, Chris, where where uh, home prices would, were out of tear, just wouldn't go down, kept moving up, hitting new highs. So it was uh, between like June and August last year where the real estate market started to slow down. We're seeing that continue here then. Exactly. Uh, last year we saw, because um, it was the beginning of that rate uh, hike cycle, uh, so we saw kind of a race, if you will, to try to beat the higher interest rates. So we saw a lot of people competing for a limited inventory housing or much greater demand uh, for pretty much the same supply. Um, whereas now we're kind of seeing the aftermath of it and things are starting to kind of slow down. They've been slowing down certainly on the sales side. Uh, now we're starting to see prices start to kind of creep down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then on the international front, one thing, I'll, a couple of things I'll mention, uh, the Mexican peso uh, reached its strongest level since 2015 and has actually the, been the best performing uh, fiat currency on the past year. So it kind of went a little unnoticed if you aren't kind of in the, the uh, finance or currencies kind of world. 
Uh, but Mexico actually just recently raised its benchmark interest rate to a record 11 and a quarter or 11.25 percent. Uh, and that is from just 4 percent in June of 2021. So um, we've really seen a big move in the Mexican peso. You know, overall, that's good for the Americans. I mean, for America, because if there's a strong peso uh, and a weaker dollar, uh, we're going to see more people imported goods from Mexico, things like that. It's, it's when we have the strong dollar, it's cheaper to go to Mexico. So we're seeing a lot of kind of play there. I know the big trend's been uh, the dollar versus the euro. We've seen a lot of people wanting to go over to the, uh, to Europe because it's cheaper now. Yeah. Uh, and then the the last thing I'll mention uh, from the international front is uh, China came out a couple of weeks ago and said they're... Um, targeting a domestic stimulus plan uh, to, bo- to boost domestic demand. So a lot of the economic numbers coming out of China have been pretty morbid. They've been either in recession or um, pretty much nearing recession, if not already there. Um, then after that fact, China's Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index uh, numbers came out and they fell to 49.2 in July from 50.5 in June. And anything below 50 is um, contracting. Uh, so that's just another bad number. Um, and I think it, it's interesting because, you know, if you go back four or five months, there was a lot of optimism coming out of China that we were going to see this big resurgence. We saw that driving a lot of the commodities market. Uh, and you're just slowly really seeing that drained uh, out of the, uh, the markets right now. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And obviously, China is going to do something to try to avoid that. Uh, we'll see how big their stimulus plan is, if it has any material impact. Well, and all those stimulus programs, you know, very seldom have any real net gains over time. They may pump into the economy money. uh, And then for that really to be effective, there needs to be a multiplier effect where $1 equals $3 over time. But it usually never works that way because of the inefficiency of these stimulus programs. So, but of course at China, China is a government driven society. So they think the government can do everything, but all the stimulus programs in America have never panned out and uh, they don't really plan out in China either, but that's still how they do it because that's what they think they need to do. Um, you know, we've not seen any real negative numbers out of China. And we learned recently about how they um, do their calculation on GDP where all the numbers come in from the local areas. So they have to go higher and higher through the Chinese Communist Party, so everyone wants to make their number look good. So we never see negative numbers now, but Chris, the numbers you're saying, if there is a neg- negative manufacturing number that they had to release, how can they possibly be having you know positive numbers in the economy if they keep showing negative numbers and they have to do a stimulus? That means things are slow. So why are the numbers always positive? You know, it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense, right? No, it doesn't. And I think, you know, when you see numbers like this coming out of a country that is heavily regulated and controlled by the government, uh, you know, I think a lot of people a, take numbers that are given there with a grain of salt. Uh, and B, that just points to the fact that things are probably a lot worse than even this mild recession, you know, would point out. So um, what that would say is they might be an already be a heavy, heavy recession. Yeah, it, it appears to be. It appears to be. And now um, America is doing onshoring where we're pulling a lot of the manufacturing out of places like China, moving it to either America or to places like India where it's 
or politically favorable to uh, to American manufacturers. So uh, that's I'm sure got to be affecting China as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, anything else on the economy, Chris? Well, that's it. Okay, good. Well, let's talk about the banking crisis. You know, the four major banks: J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo, four biggest banks by assets, gave up a net 262 billion in deposits when compared year over year you know, earlier for this most recent quarter. From the first quarter to the second quarter, customers pulled out 62 billion from three of those banks. So, meanwhile, we saw a run on the regional banks earlier this year. We saw a couple of regional or smaller banks go under. Um, now, regional banks have started to gain deposits. So the investors are rewarding them for that and setting their stocks higher over the last two weeks or so. So we're seeing a big spike upward in regional banking stocks after them getting hit really badly for quite a while. The positive divergence reverses that trend that took hold uh, during the chaotic scramble for safety following the failures Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and then First Republic um, out on the East Coast. So those seizures were led to really crippling withdrawals uh, in a number of regional banks during the first quarter. But now that's starting to shift a little bit. So that's a positive for the regional banks and negative for the for the large banks. When interest rates are high or higher and banks don't pay that much in their deposits, well, then people are going to pull money out of the banks and put it into an institutional money market fund. Or Vanguard's got a 4%. Charles Schwab's got a 5%. Raymond James, through Fidelity, has a 5%. So so there's some better yields in there in what are considered to be riskless investments in money markets. They're not completely riskless, but that's what people think. Uh, there are some risks to money market fund, but it's certainly a, on the scale of risk, it's a lower, lower risk. Let's put it that way. Um, so that that continues to be an issue. So when when interest rates finally do ease, that'll leave less pressure on the banks. But for now, it's still kind of a tough time for the banks because they can't really pay pay five percent on deposits yet. That's where money market yields and the short term Fed rates are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of pressure there. I mean, and I think the big key there is we're seeing that impact the small community banks and middle market banks. Definitely more that's going to impact like the JP Morgans, the Wells Fargo's, the big banks. Is it going to have an impact on their balance sheet? Yes. Uh, but is there any risk of them going under per se? Very, no. Not really. Probably not. There's never, yeah, there's never none, but uh, it's very low. Well, and just by way of reminder, folks, that, you know, we did see the same kind of activity back in the um, banking crisis of the early 1980s when re- interest rates went to record levels higher than we've ever seen. Uh, I remember getting a 20% money market in 1980. Uh, so we did see a lot of banks go under. In fact, the savings loan industry, because it was a little bit unregulated, got to the point that the entire savings loan industry was dissolved, uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of banks, and they became part of the regular banking system, FDIC. So um, when interest rates rise, a lot of players involved in money flow for whatever reason, are not prepared for it. And so then we see things break, we see banks collapse, we see uh, other things break, currencies break, uh, people with too much debt get exposed. And so that's the same kind of stuff we've been seeing here. I'd say on measure though, this has been more mild compared to what went on in 1979 to 1982. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, it's still happening to some extent, Chris. So, yep. uh, 
And then what we see out there, you've got a couple of choice comments there, Chris, if I remember right. Yeah. So uh, just a couple of interesting updates. Uh, so UPS just avoided a uh, strike on a planned five-year deal. So uh, that was good. That way there was some worry about that. Uh, but interesting, uh, the trucking company Yellow, um, they there was a strike uh, from their kind of Teamsters, if you will. And uh, they just filed for bankruptcy towards the end of July. Um, and that's a big hit. Uh, Yellow was actually the cheapest, usually, uh, trucking company operator. Uh, so Walmart used them a lot, a lot of low-cost budget carriers there. Um, so we could see this eventually since they did file for bankruptcy. They are doing liquidation. Um, so they're no longer going to be essentially a player in that space. But we could see this impact the cost of goods on the stores such as Walmart. Uh, as maybe freight costs go up slightly. Um, so that would be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, and then the last thing, yeah, interesting, an old one, uh, GE is starting to actually kind of finally move again after being, for the most part, dead for the last decade. Uh, they've just lifted their 2023 profit forecast. And this is actually a forecast after um, more robust earnings and demand from their jet engines and uh, so this kind of uh, goes back to the fact that we're talking about. We're seeing a heavy boom in leisure and travel. Um, a lot of people traveling to Europe. We're just seeing the um, the airline industry continue to see a boom. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot a lot of interesting things happening. The yellow bankruptcy. Uh, maybe it's negotiation uh, because they have thirty thousand employees. Hopefully, they don't have to release thirty thousand employees. But but if they did, that would be very catastrophic. We'll see if they follow through with the. The bankruptcy and the liquidation. We'll see if that happens. Uh, from Chris, from the page of the book, um, that uh, being honorable, at least uh, Morgan Stanley uh, recently admitted they were wrong in March when they that they were looking for a vicious collapse in the stock market that never happened. And you know that's one of the reasons why Chris, we don't do ma- do predictions because they're you're often wrong. And you know why you know why predict things? We just try to follow trends and understand what's going on. And if nothing's working, we try to be in cash and cash equivalents, um, so we don't do any damage. So that that's what happens when people make predictions. But at least Morgan Stanley admitted it. But Morgan Stanley, the big firm, is now also getting back into the ETF business. They just issued six new exchange traded funds, and they were one of the originals in the exchange traded fund business and got out of the business. So they're getting back in. So um, anyway, kudos to to Morgan Stanley for at least being honest about what what happened. And lastly, Chris, I, Chris, I just wanted to uh, close with, there's a Gallup poll that a lot, a lot of Americans are losing faith in a four-year college education. We've seen a lot of really stressful situations in the college world. We, Starting with the Clinton administration, they started offering liberal loans to people for you know going to college, uh, any kind of degree. And so many of the degrees were not degrees that could pay back $100,000 in loans. Um, the lowest measurement ever, only 36% of uh, college students are confident uh, in, in, a, in a college education, down from 57% only in 2015. So the same period, very little confidence number, um, you know, from 22% uh, you know, up to 22% from 9%, so very little confidence in, in a college education. So every group showed the clients, notable most people um, who um, identify on the conservative side are way, way down to 19% from 56%. So a lot of people are losing faith in college education. So we need to kind of re-up why 
we get a college education? What's the value of it? Uh, are we spending too much on it? We need to kind of get all that stuff back in line, I think. And, and, and if people are losing confidence and they're not going to colleges, maybe college prices will start to come down. That was one commodity that for uh, a couple decades saw nothing but increases in pricing. And a lot of it had to do with the increases in salaries for the professors. Some of that's now coming down. We're seeing some colleges close or merge with others because uh, they can't get the funding anymore. But I think we made a bunch of mistakes in that whole segment where the government was controlling everything with regard to colleges. So let's hope we get that back in line. Um, mm-hmm. So that's all we had, man. Um, I've got uh, a couple of blog posts on the leadership matrix. We put one out, interestingly enough, about all the travel wars that are going on. And the travel wars with so many people traveling, kind of a pandemic effect. And also just people wanting to get out of their houses. You know, a lot of people haven't traveled much over the last couple of years. So we're seeing a huge boom. And there's a lounge wars now that all these companies are getting into the travel lounge or the airport with the leader of a community bank. Uh, so we're going to we're going to get an update from one of the local community banks in Chicago who is doing very, very well. And that's First Eagle Bank. Um, Mr. Andy Salk is the owner of that bank. So anyway, uh, I think that's all we have for today, Chris, right? about it all right well thanks everybody it's august 2nd as we tape this and we wish everybody a great august um it's a great time to spend with family and it's warm out and the beach is nice so everybody have a great great august and we'll be talking to you later in the month thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on itunes spotify or wherever you listen And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and keep on growing out there, everyone.